We'll take just a few minutes with you in the First Timothy this morning, if you'll find your place in your copy of God's Word, First Timothy chapter two, and uh, we'll just begin with one verse. Although we'll look at some other verses around this, but we'll begin with chapter two and verse eight. First Timothy uh, chapter two and verse eight. Um, Paul is the, uh, the writer here, the human author, human author, and he is writing to a younger man in the ministry named Timothy, and he is charging Timothy simply how to get the church in order, how it's supposed to run, what he's supposed to do, what he is the pastor of this church at Ephesus is supposed to do, and how he's supposed to do things. And in, as part of that, it's, uh, he gives us a little bit of a charge in chapter 2. Um, talking about how the men ought to operate in the church and how the women ought to operate in the church. I'm just going to focus on the men part. The ladies, you can just sit back and judge that fellas. How's that? Uh, but here's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Just looking at verse 8 to begin with. He says, I will therefore, this is what I want, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting. He says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I just want to take a minute to give you a thought from this passage. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, I need your help this morning. I need your help to convey this truth. I pray that you will, that you won't just help them understand it. I think the understanding will probably, I hope, will be easy, but the doing and the, the committing help us to do that. Every year, um, as Americans, we throw away, we literally put in the trash can, something on the order of about $300 billion worth of value. That's the value of the coupon. I know they're crazy little things to cut out of the newspaper or out of the things you get in the mail, but that's the value of the coupons that we get just about every week in our mailbox or in our Sunday newspaper. We cashed in about $3 billion worth of those coupons, by the way, but there's so much that literally gets thrown in the trash. We barely save or use about 1% of what is made available to us. Now, I'm standing here. I'm not trying to pitch you on using coupons. You use them if you don't, but I'm just trying to get you to see that this is a value that is given to you. It is literally... In fact, in fact, we kind of get frustrated. They give us the many of them. Like, oh my goodness, I don't want any more. They give you these things. They give it to you. But we don't use them. Here, Paul is writing to Timothy about, I think, another and rather bigger opportunity that we have. And this is one that's available to every one of us. It's available to us in space. It is available to us so much Yet we are essentially doing exactly like we do with those little papers that come in the mail or that come in our newspapers, and we're taking it out to the trash, we're taking it out to the recycling, we're ignoring it, we're overlooking it. He says in verse 8, he says he wants men everywhere, all men everywhere to pray. Now, he's not saying this simply as a reminder, and I say this to you, not simply as a reminder to do your duty. Yeah, do your duty. You should do it. But I want you to be reminded, um, today I want to spend just a few minutes of your time just to focus your attention as, on something that you have as a, I'll say it this way, a superpower that you have from on high. God has given this to you. You have this incredible resource that's available to you, 
And in this passage, God is calling us to pray. Let me put it this way. I believe that here at Ellisboro Baptist Church, if the men of this church, if the men of this church, I believe the women are already praying, fellas. I'm just going to tell you. I think a lot of them are already praying. I'm not too worried about them. But I think the men of this church, if we would get on our knees and pray to our God, we would pray more and gripe about stuff less. If we would talk to God more instead of chasing the things that our heart says we want less. If we would pray for others more, if we would do so and do less worrying about what I want and what I need, I believe if that would happen at this church, we would see what is often referred to as revival. I believe we would see heart change. I believe you'd see better marriages. I believe you'd see better better home life. I believe you'd see children that are happier, that are more well-adjusted. I think you would see lives transformed. I think that the reason, according to Scripture, in fact, I think that the reason that we don't have the things we need, James chapter 4 says, that the reason you don't have is because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you know what we're asking for? Lord, I sure would love a new bath boat. Lord, I sure would like that new truck. Lord, I sure would like something that I want. We're asking a miss, James tells us. We don't even ask, and then when we do ask, we're asking it for foolishness. We're asking it for things that are wasteful. I believe we see the world change. So it is my hope here on this Baptist Men's Day that all men, what did you say there? All men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And I ask you to do that, and I think the Bible is telling us to do that, not simply because we must or we should, but you know that prayer actually shapes the world around you? This is the power of prayer. It changed. You've heard this. You've heard that. You've got your little bumper sticker. Some of you. Prayer changes things. Y'all believe that? It actually does. It changes things. I want you to see this. Go to chapter 2 and verse 1. He says there, I exhort therefore, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. He says all kinds of prayers. What he's saying. Be made, what did he say there? For all men. Everybody. I want you to pray for everybody. I want you to pray for everybody. Why does he want you to pray for everybody? Well, he goes immediately in verse 2, and he says, I want you to pray for kings and for them that are in authority. Because the world, the prayer changes things. And you know the first thing it does? If you'll pray, it'll actually have an impact on your government. You may say, well, I sure can't stand these Democrats in Congress. Or I sure couldn't stand that Republican that was our president. Whatever your issue is, you know who's going to change that? Your complaining sure hadn't changed it. I can tell you that. And my goodness, you're voting. I, something's wrong with y'all. What is wrong with y'all voting? Open these jokers in all the time. It's not your voting that fixes it. That's not going to fix it. The Bible tells me that I'm to obey the authorities that are over me. I'm to obey them. But do know who gives them their power. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, he says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. So yes, I'm supposed to obey my government. But he goes on to say, For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Did you know that the governor of the state of North Carolina, can I just go ahead and tell you all, I don't talk politics very much, but let me just tell you, I am not a fan of our governor. 
I'll, I'll, I will, I will skip around. You'll notice me. I, I dance around politics all day. I will not dance around that. I just don't care for the fellow. That's just me. That's just me. Y'all have your own opinions. That's nothing to do with the Bible. But what I want you to understand is my job is to obey him. But you know where Governor Cooper gets his orders from, whether he knows it or not, whether he acknowledges it or not? Do you know where they come from? God himself. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know God. Governor Cooper will not answer my call. I mean, he wouldn't answer my call when he was, what is it, uh, he was the state's attorney. He wouldn't answer my call. And I mean that. I mean, like, literally, he would not answer my call. But that's another thing. That's a, I, I, I've got to quit off. i got to get off that. My point of saying all that is that he's not going to answer my call. President Biden's not going to answer my call. Your congressman or woman might answer your call because you're in their district. But otherwise, the rest of them don't care about you. But I know the one who's their boss, whether they know him or not. I know him. I can talk to him. I can appeal to him. I, he will hear me. He likes me. He loves me. And he will hear me. So we sit around and we complain about things, don't we? I can tell you, you get three or four men together, and they will start talking about sports or politics or their wives or something. They're going to complain about it, right? Are they not? Why do we complain when we could actually pray about it and change things? We could actually shape or impact our government if we would pray. Second of all, continue on to read in verse 2. He says, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. There's four words in there that I kind of like. I just want to just point out to you. Quiet. I like when people leave me alone. Now, I say that as a man who stands here pretending to be, or not pretending, that's the wrong word, um, uh, attempting to be, that's the right word, attempting to be your pastor. It means I want to be available to you, but sometimes I just want people to leave me alone. Y'all get all offended about me saying that. You know I'm a human being, don't you? I love you. I really do. And I really do want to talk to you. I really do. But sometimes that fellow down the street that's got his music way up too loud as he rides down. I just wish he'd hush. And sometimes, sometimes that youngin that's in the living room that wants me to do something for them that I'm tired of doing for them, I just want them to leave me alone. I just like it quiet. Don't y'all just like it quiet sometimes? You just like it quiet. You just like people leave you alone. Peaceable. The word that he uses there is this idea that everything's in order like it ought to be. I don't know why it falls on me to um, fix the toilet when it messes up, or <laughs> why it falls on me when all the leaves fall out of the, the um, trees to get them off my yard and put them somewhere. For one reason or another, when things go wrong, i got to fix them. And I kind of like it when they're fixed. I just don't care to fix it. I just don't care for it to be the one putting my hands on it. I like for it to be fixed. I like to be able to, as I can now, by the way, I, I'm very proud of myself, on that Saturday before the Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday morning when it snowed real big like a week ago, that Saturday I spent the day, most of the day, cleaning up the last vestiges of leaves off my yard. It's only to be dumped on with snow. But I was very proud. I could look out of my yard and have no leaves on the yard. I was very proud of myself. That's the peaceable feeling I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's just where it's supposed to be. It's in its place. It's in order. Well, I like that. Godliness is another word he uses there. It's honoring God in every aspect and every area of your life. 
that, that God becomes the, the reason, the centerpiece of your life. I, I like that. I, I look now as my children are getting older, and I've got a couple that are that left the house, and I'm looking at their lives. And you know the things I'm probably the most proud of of them? And it's just, maybe it just says a lot about me. But I mean, I'm proud of a lot of things they do. But the one thing I look at, and I'm like, man, that maybe, maybe her, their mama did something right there, is I look at them, and I say, looks like God might have an important part of their life. That's important to me. And he goes on to say that it's honesty. This is the fourth word there is honesty. This is the idea of doing something that's respectable, having dignity in what you do. And, and all that's simply to say that a quiet, peaceable life marked by godliness and respectability or dignity. I kind of like that. That's what I want. Can I get a, as they say, get a witness? Is there anybody in the house that would like that kind of life? There's at least a handful of you. That's the kind of life that I want. That's what I want. He says there, this is what we pray for, that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness and honesty. The problem is, and I'm I'm sort of confessing my sins here, that's the kind of life I want. But what I do in pursuit of that is I get things out of balance. Sometimes I overly focus on my family and my job suffers. Or my friendships outside of my family suffers. Or I'm overly focused on my work and my family suffers. Or my health even suffers because I'm not, I'm not giving myself the rest or the nutrition or the exercise or, or any of the things that I need. And I, I overly focus on one thing or another because we're kind of, we're kind of sitting there, we're chasing the, chasing the problems, aren't we? Okay, I'm chasing the problems. I don't know how y'all are, but I chase the problems. It's the squeaky wheel. That's what I'm focused on right now. But I need you to understand that if it is good and it is right, and can I just go ahead and underscore for you, your family is good and it is right. Your job is good and it is right. Assuming you're not doing anything illegal, let's pretend we're doing that. We're doing good stuff here. Your job is good and it is right. Your, your, your spiritual life is good and it is right. Can I go ahead and tell you, it is good and it is right to have some fun every now and again. Go on vacation. Play around the golf. I hate golf, but y'all might like golf. Play around the golf. Go fishing. Do something fun. Go out to a nice restaurant. These are good things. And if they are good and they are right, then we should pray for God to allow us to keep these things in balance. Instead of us stressing ourselves out, overburdening ourselves to try to get it all just right. I know I do that. And I want you to understand this has implications for your church and for your family, for your job, for your school, for your community. All of these things matter. These matter. But you can't fix them. You can't get them right. You know who can? The God in heaven who we have an open line to. Lord, I want that good life. I want that quiet and peaceable life that's marked by godliness and marked by honesty. That's what I want. Can you give that to me? We work for it, don't we? Some of us have nervous breakdowns and heart attacks and all these other things, working ourselves crazy to try to get these things. Why don't we stop a minute and actually pray and say, God, why don't you help us with this, please? You can do this. Go on in verse 3. He says there, he says that this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Certainly, he's talking about prayer generally. Specifically, he's talking about living that good life that we just described there. He's wanting all those things, but I want you to understand that 
in order to get to the place where God is saying it is good and acceptable, it requires us to, to talk to Him, to pray. Everything around you is shaped by prayer. The government is shaped by prayer. The life that you live is shaped by prayer. And your relationship with God is shaped by prayer. Can I just go ahead and tell you all this? I think some of you all need to hear this. That God wants to hear from you. He loves you. He, he really loves you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 tells me that from the very beginning of time, God has communicated. He's revealed Himself. He's made Himself known to us. And that He has made Himself known to us so much so that in these last days, in this time that we are now in, this time He's actually made Himself known in a person. He has visited us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God who has come in the flesh to be with us. This is how much God loves us. He didn't just get, He sent us some letters. Genesis through Malachi, he sent us a few letters. But then he said, you know what? I'm tired of sending letters. I'm going to come and visit with them. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be with us. So I'm telling you all that, that he loves us. He also said, when he came, he didn't just come. He said, bear the mess. I'm going to save them. I'm going to die on the cross for them. He not only is done, he's not done with that. He actually decided to go back to heaven and let this whole thing play out in his time and in his, in his way. But he says, I'm coming back for you. This is so much he loves you and he, he wants to hear from you. In fact, he knows who you are. He knows what you're made of. He knows that you're broken. He knows that you're weak. He knows that you don't have all what it takes to do what you're supposed to do. He's even given us. He wants to hear from you so much that he has given to us his Holy Spirit to help us. He aid us in our prayer. The Spirit helps in our infirmities, the Bible says. When you're weak, when you're not strong enough, when you don't feel like praying. The times that I um, don't feel like praying are the times that I feel far from God. And I don't know how it is with you, but sometimes you, um, if I you hurt somebody's feelings or you made them mad, Last thing in the world you want to do is go talk to them. That, maybe that's just me. I, I imagine y'all might be that way too. Like whenever I get in a row with my wife, um, it's usually her fault. Um, the last thing I want to do is try to cross paths. Like I want to try to avoid that because I know that, like I said, most time I was joking, obviously, most time it's my fault. And because it's my fault, I'm trying to find a way to either make it better or just kind of stay away from things well over. Right? I do the same thing with God. I do the exact same thing with God. When I know I'm not in the right place with Him, what I will, the last thing I want to do is talk to Him. The last thing I want to do. In fact, I will, I've, I've noticed in my own life, and I don't know if y'all can testify to this or not, but I've noticed in my life that those times when I am without prayer, and I'll go weak, weak, months, without actually taking the time in my spirit or with my mouth, lifting up and asking God, would you help me? And the reason is because I've gotten off track somewhere and I feel like he doesn't want to hear from me. I want you to understand that he wants to hear from you even in your infirmity. Even when you say, you don't understand what I just did. That was wrong and I knew it was wrong. God definitely knows it was wrong. Yes, that's why Jesus died on the cross for you. Christ giving you the Holy Spirit to hear. Even sometimes you don't know the words to say, but you just say, God, I messed up. And the Holy Spirit takes that and puts it right to God's ear and says exactly what needs to be said. 
So I'm trying to get you to see that God wants to hear from you. He loves you so much. He's actually giving the Holy Spirit to aid your prayer. And because He actually sent His Son to set, set sacrifice to die for you, so that you could be welcomed in. There was no, there's no, there's no uh, uh, protocol, rigmarole that you have to go through, cross yourself four times and jump on one leg, none of that sort of thing. It's already been taken care of at the cross. Jesus has made it so that you can enter in, not simply enter in meekly and mildly. Oh my goodness, am I allowed to come in here? No, the writer of Hebrews says that we can boldly enter, not arrogantly, not with pride, not because we deserve to be there, but with boldness knowing that the Father who we are going to approach wants to hear from us, has paved the way for us to hear from for Him to hear from us, and is inviting us in, literally like some of y'all, especially as your children have gotten older, maybe have moved away. When they decide to call you or knock on your front door, you're not simply, you're not sitting there saying, well, I want you to earn your way back into this house, son. No, sir, no, ma'am. You're just going to be like, come on, there's a bed up here, you never have to leave. Right? Am I right? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. That's just how God is with you. That when you open your mouth in prayer, He's not sitting up there, well, I ain't heard from them in a while, what's wrong with them? No, He's saying, yes, this is who I want to hear from. This is what I want. I simply want you to understand that God matters to you, and I think He does to a lot of you. Now, let's talk to Him. If you matter to Him, let's talk to Him. Go with me to verse 4. Talking about God again, He says, He will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. He says He wants people to be saved. All that simply to say that if you're wanting to change things in your world, you've got children or family members, parents, friends, co-workers that you know need to know Jesus, need to come to Christ. You have people that you know that need Jesus. The only way those people will get saved is through you praying. There's no salvation outside of God's intervention. I believe that people don't get saved out of the clear blue without they just sort of decide to do this one day. I believe it is absolutely the Holy Spirit who comes in and makes a change in a man's heart, opens his eyes, helps him to see, helps him to understand, does that for a person. That's what he does. That's what he does. But again, just like the heart of the governor, I know the one who does it. I know the one who changes hearts. I know the one who opens eyes. I know the one who saves people. I know him. I just told you he wants to hear from you. So if you want people to be saved, you need to talk to the Lord. If you've got a child or a grandchild that needs to be saved, talk to the Lord about them. Ask them, Lord God, you're the one who saves. Please save them. But can I go one further on this? I'm not going to say this about a whole lot of things, but I will say it on this topic because I believe I've got the Bible to back me up on it. You can pray that prayer in full confidence that God will answer that prayer. You may say, well, Matthew, that's bold. And I'll say, absolutely, that's bold because I don't like to say that very much about many prayers. Because I've prayed prayers. I remember one church that I was part of that there was a pastor there that had been, he had gotten cancer and they prayed for him and they were just so sure that God was going to answer that prayer and God in His timing and His sovereignty chose to allow that man to die. And I'm trying to tell you that sometimes God does that. That's His, that's his business. But I want you to know that, just, I, want you to, I want to prove this to you. I'm going to take a minute. I know I'm a little late here, but I want you to stick with me because this is important. 
Look at what he says there in verse 4. Talking of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I want you to know that God wants people to be saved. That's what the Bible's saying there. He wants people to be saved. Let me add another verse to your repertoire on this. First John chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15. I want to read those to you. It says there that we have this confidence in Him, God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Can I just make that real straight and plain for you? He says, if we're asking according to God's will, He's going to hear you. And if He hears you, He's going to answer. He's going to give it to you. He's going to give you what your heart's desire is. So the question is, is it God's will for people to be saved? I can tell you unequivocally, twice on Sunday, absolutely yes. I'm emphasizing this, I'm making this point, because I'm afraid that the reason we're not seeing people saved in our churches, in our families, in our homes, in our businesses, we're not seeing that because we're not asking the Savior to save them. I'm not suggesting it's your fault because they're the ones who sin and they're on their way to hell because of their sin. I understand that. Please understand. But you know the Savior. You can intercede for them. You can lift up their voice, their name in prayer. And He has orchestrated all... In fact, that's what He says in verses 5 and 6. He says there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself in a ransom to all, for all to be testified in due time. He says, I have actually... Or God has actually worked out all of human history to provide this salvation. You better believe He wants to save people. He's worked it all out and He's made it so simple. You simply must believe. I want to tell you, but there's so much in the Bible that, that, I, that, 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 that I think we, we miss because we're, we're, we're not thinking about it, we're not studying on it, but this is one of those things I think we miss because we overcomplicate it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible tells me that. Why is it so easy? Because God's already done all the work. Your job as a believer is to pray for those who are unsaved. Your job, if you're not a believer, is to simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and He will save you. You say you care about people, but do you pray for their salvation? I want to close with verse 8 again, come back to that. And it says there that I will that all men, I will therefore that all that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Hang with me for just a second because I want you to see this. Prayer shapes the world around us. I hope I've made that plain from this passage. But not only does it shape the world around us, I want you to understand that it actually reaches your heavenly Father. We're called to pray without wrath and doubting because I think, and I, maybe I'm just speaking from my experience, but I believe that men are often angry, frustrated, and confused and uncertain. And the worst is when we put all that together, we're angry, frustrated, confused, and uncertain all at the same time. I'll tell you, you will not find me being more frustrated when I do not understand what is going on and why it's going wrong, and I'm supposed to fix it. I am so mad. My wife doesn't like to be around me. She says, be quiet. And I'm saying, if you don't understand, I'm mad. 
I don't like to be around me when I'm like that either. And again, maybe I'm just confessing my faults to you, but I think some of y'all might can feel, feel that with me. But I think this is a common, um, common to men, common to us, that we can get angry and we get frustrated. But he says to call, to call for these prayers without wrath, without doubting, to take away the anger, to take away the uncertainty, and to trust, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, to trust his mighty hand. Trust his mighty hand. Trust him to do that. And he says there to lift up holy hands. I love this picture. Lifting up holy hands. And of course, we understand this is a, a sort of a religious uh, thing that people do and things that's been done for history and people do it today in history and people have done it today where they lift up their hands and it's just a praise the Lord kind of thing, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. We've done it here a few times. One or two times people have done this. It's a good thing. You lift your hands. But you know what, what's going on here with lifting your hands? I remember when our children were real little, and they would fall down and they'd cry, and they'd say, Mama. They would never say, Daddy. They would say, Mama, Mama. They wanted Mama. You know what they did as soon as they saw Mama? They lifted those holy hands because they wanted Mama to pick them up. I'm trying to tell you, and I think that there's, there's something about this that we are reaching up to our Father, Abba, is the Bible word there. We're lifting up to Him. We're calling out to Him because we can call Him Father. We can call Him our Father. Not just a Father, not just a God, but my Father, my God. And I can lift my hands to Him and say, I am weak. You are strong. I can't do it, but you can. And I want you to be assured that every time that you voice a prayer of faith, He hears your prayer and he wants to hear that prayer. And he is, you are in part of his family. And you're in good standing in his family. And he loves you a lot. Think about that. You might have been the black sheep in your, in your earthly family. But imagine, you know, that better brother and sister that you got. You know them. How uh, mom and daddy react. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, mom, maybe you were the better brother and sister. And how they reacted to you. You know what I'm talking about? That's what God does to you. He gives you that favorable treatment. That's what he does because you're in his, in his care and you can lift those holy hands and say, Lord, I need some help. And he'll hear you. I do, I want you to, and I've got to close. I want you to understand prayer is not as a religious ritual. I'm afraid that's the problem that many of you have as you're listening to me. Prayer is a religious ritual to you. I even think we mess it up in church services where we make prayer this perfunctory thing. Well, we've got to do this. We've got to pray, and then we do this. And then prayer is not that. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is that late-night phone call to a best friend when you really got something heavy on your heart. Prayer is that conversation with your spouse about some feeling you're trying to process. Prayer is just having a conversation with your kids when they're back in the house over Christmas holidays. Prayer is that one-to-one conversation with a best friend that you've known for decades. Prayer is you having a conversation. The only thing is, the only, the only wrinkle here, which actually makes it even better, is you're praying with the most powerful person in the universe. He can literally do anything. That's what prayer is. 
I'm going to ask you, men, to tell this man today, so I'm going to ask you to commit to being a man's prayer. I'm going to ask you to do that. Commit in your heart. Commit to the Lord. Testify to a friend. Whatever you need to do, but make that commitment that you are going to be a man's prayer. To shape the world around you, not by the effort of your hands, but by lifting holy hands to the one who can.